Right now, if you're feeling lost, confused, broken, frustrated, angry, fed up, utterly and completely collapsed, you've come to the right place. I'm here to remind you that you're not alone in this. Your feelings, your emotions, what you're experiencing right now, in this moment, all of these are valid. Now, we've spoken before about how thoughts, feelings, impulses, and desires are not us. And I just wanted to check in with you to make sure that you understand exactly where I'm coming from when I say that emotions aren't us. They are not us. That's not who we are. We have markers where we identify with our emotional states, and they are states because they come and go. And these markers may be I'm angry. I'm confused. I feel hopeless. I can't go on. I'm miserable. I'm angry. So instead of seeing these impermanent emotional states, feelings, thoughts, and desires, instead of giving them those personalized markers, I am feeling, I am, I believe, I think, start to see them for what they are. They are temporary Emotional states, desirous states. In other words, they ebb and flow. They go up and down. So these aren't us. They are just arising from the mind like all other thought forms. Now here's the tricky part. Here's the gray area. Here's the point that I see that a lot of people out there are skipping right past. What happens when someone else says something to me that hurts me? Who feels that? What is that feeling? Where does it come from? How does it arise in my consciousness? What about when we have feelings that we're in danger? We're sensing something. And we feel that something 
bad could happen. What about those senses? Are we supposed to ignore those? If we say we're shooting for a spiritual goal of having no self-concern, do we walk out into traffic? Of course, I'm being graphic here. Of course, we don't walk out into traffic because we have no self-concern. Are the things that are arising from this consciousness, this mind, this person, this Robert right here, are they valid? Or do I just rise above those feelings because I recognize them for what they are? What about what other people think about me? I may carry a belief that a particular person thinks that I am stupid. They may have never said anything to me. They may have never called me stupid. But inside my mind, that interior dialogue that's arising wants to fabricate a story that someone is thinking something about me. How did I arrive at that particular junction in my understanding? If this person has never said, you're stupid, Robert, and I think that that's what they're thinking, what's the origin of that Opinion. We'd have to face facts and say, well, that opinion is completely wholly fictitious in my mind because the person has never said to me, I think you're stupid. And I know that can be a very harsh word for some of us. I apologize for using it. I know it can be a trigger. I can find that a trigger personally if someone called me stupid. The point is here. No one has called me anything yet. I'm only assuming that someone thinks that I'm not very intelligent. So what's happening here inside of our mind? If we check in and we close our eyes, we see that up there, a scenario and story is being fabricated by some invisible force. Now, we can look at this from a, a very deeply psychological perspective where we could say, when I was little, so-and-so used to call me stupid. That really hurt my feelings. And then eventually, I may have started to believe that I was. So now if I believe that somebody is thinking that of me, it's going to trigger something in me. What's the trigger? Who's being triggered? You're being triggered by an imaginary 
thought wherein you believe that someone may be thinking negative thoughts about you. What is that doing when you check in? Like I said before, that hurts my feelings. I don't, I don't want people to think negatively of me. Let's go a little deeper. I don't think anyone wants anyone to believe that people are thinking negative or judgmentally about them. I think that most of us can agree on that. And I've heard it casually mentioned before on my podcast from me and also from other teachers. They just say, it doesn't matter what other people think. Don't take what people think about you or say about you personally. So how does one do that exactly? I hear the phrase, I see people post about it on Facebook and Instagram. Don't take anything personally. I don't remember seeing the little asterisk there with right underneath that, and this is how you do that. Do I know how to do it? I've been practicing that for a while now, so I could share something with you about that. It may not be exactly what it is that will work for you, but I can share my viewpoint with you and my experience of that. So, what is the how-to? Let's just take this a step at a time. Here's my how-to. It's a combination of things. One of them is, I have a meditation practice, and this, is, this helps me. I would encourage you to try. Two. I journal about things quite often. I have hundreds of pages of journals. So I write these things down saying, I felt hurt when so-and-so said X. Well, you may say, what good does that do? Well, this really allows you to be able to express that. You may not be able to speak to the person that has personally insulted you, especially if it's imagined. In other words, where we are, by our observations and what we might call hypervigilance or hypersensitivity, we may be thinking that other people are thinking bad thoughts about us. So there's really no way to communicate that to someone. You can't come up to someone and say, listen, I know you're thinking bad thoughts about me, and that hurts my feelings. So the journaling is a way to be able to express this. You can write it down. Then you can ask yourself some interesting questions, and they're all about why. Why does that hurt me? When, when I think, when I'm imagining, that someone is thinking bad thoughts about me. Why does that bother me? And for everyone out there, it's probably going to be different for you than it is for me. All I can say is explore that concept of why. Why does it hurt? You may have to get in your little time-traveling machine and go back. Go back. 
to remember where you may have experienced that for the very first time. We certainly can become hypersensitive when we're young if we're around people who we think that we need to be cautious around. Bullies at school. I don't want to name names. Family members. Let's just put it in that bracket, okay? Big brother, big sister. Somebody we might have to be cautious of. Using that old lizard brain, the fight or flight, we may decide to fly, but we can't. So if we can't fly, what's our next tactic? We have three cats here. I know this is going to sound off topic. Two of the cats we took in as fosters and that failed. And we, because we loved them, of course, but they were feral. So they were wild cats. And one of the habits that they had that I thought was really funny is as long as they were in a room with me and they felt safe, they would come out, they would lay around. And this was before I had any kind of, you know, physical contact with the cats. They would never come into my lap. I couldn't touch them. I couldn't pick them up. But they'd still come out and hang around the the art studio. If they heard the wrong sound, they would hit the ground and flatten out and get their bellies right on the ground and find the first place where they could duck and hide. So I called that low belly. (laughs) They're low bellying. We may have learned how to low belly in our life where we really knew we couldn't run away, but we wanted to keep our belly low, you know? protect ourselves. And what this can create is, is, a, is a hyper, what's called a hypervigilance. If we think we're in danger all the time, after a while, we become hypersensitive to our environment and the people that are in it. And we begin to notice before this person becomes dangerous to me or a threat to me, rather, I notice that they're that their eyes got smaller and their brow got furrowed and their shoulders went up and they made a little sound or, you know, we start to become hyper aware of the most subtle facial expressions from, from these people that we deem to be threatening. And this may not be for all of my listeners, but I do hope it rings true for some because I experienced a lot of bullying when I was a kid at school. I, you know, I was a, a fat kid and I got picked on a lot because I was overweight and man, oh, it it crushed me. It just hurt my feelings. And there were a few people that bullied me quite often. Also, so did the general public. It was very strange. After a while, I became hyper aware of everybody that was, say I went to the mall. I'm at the mall, I'm in the big place, and I am so hyper-aware, so hyper-fixated with, with everything that I'm, I'm certain that somebody is going to yell, Hey, fatty! You know, maybe I should have done a trigger warning before this, but I don't want to offend anyone about that. Certainly, I don't want to offend anyone. But my point is this. To protect myself, I became hyper-vigilant, hyper-aware 
hypersensitive, watching every movement everybody made. And then after a while, I didn't notice this at the time, but I've noticed it through the work that I've done in my journaling, in my meditation practice, in my speaking to people. I noticed that I started to imagine that people, like I could read people's minds. That, that's it. Like I was reading their mind. They, someone would look at me or glance at me. I'd, you know, I'd get hyper, uh, I'd get anxious and I'd tense up and I would think, you know, they're, they're going to call me. They're going to call me a name. I, I better be ready. I can hear it. And then after a while, I could start to hear what was an imagined interior dialogue coming from this person as if I was reading their mind. This is what he's saying about me right now. Look at that person. Look at, look at how fat he is. Look how ugly he is. Boy, he is stupid looking. Yeah, this stuff is rough, but I'm sharing it with you because, because I've been through it. That's why I'm saying if you're here and you feel like you're broken and you feel like you're lost and angry and frustrated, you're, first of all, you're not alone. That's why I do these podcasts and that's why I did them in the past. They, to me, were an audio diary so I could go back and listen to the thing that I realized after working for a long time with a particular concept or idea on personal transformation. And through that personal transformation, this was goal-based. And the goal was, I want to be happier. I want my mind to stop because, like I was saying, my mind was always going. It wasn't going just with my own thoughts and thinking. I was thinking everybody else's thoughts for them as well. And they usually were um, negative thoughts about me that I was imagining. I'm not saying those people didn't think those things, but I know this for sure. It was all happening in my mind. All of it. Until somebody said something out loud. My point is this. It was so continual for, or it was so often for me as a kid growing up like this. I started to build up a defense system for myself that was the pre-defense system. In other words, my mind reading, air quotes, <laughs> my mind reading capabilities in knowing that this is what this person is, all, is already thinking and feeling about me will help protect me because I can now low belly it out of here. <laughs> you know, that's what I mean. I'm going to low belly it out of this mall, out of this movie theater, out of this hallway at school. I am going to get my belly low and I'm going to scoot out of there because I can tell that guy, he's, he's thinking bad thoughts about me. So what a life. That was me. Never really knowing that I could be labeled as someone who was hypersensitive, very anxious, always alert. I have a habit of anywhere I went, I would sit with my, with, with, with my back to a wall facing a door so I could see everyone coming in. I couldn't have my back turned. Made me nervous. I would squeeze up my shoulders and I felt like there was always somebody coming up behind me. A real problem case. <laughs> so my weapon was this self-defense system where I had the early warning system. Robert's early warning system of 
always constantly thinking that everyone was thinking about me. <laughs> it's crazy because after a while in my practice, I thought, geez, you know, that's, if anything could be really egotistical, it could just be that fact right there. Everyone's thinking about me. Unfortunately, they weren't thinking good thoughts. In my mind, they were thinking bad thoughts. They were judging my appearance. That's how it was for me, personally. For you, it might be entirely different. For me, they were judging my appearance and also my actions. When I was in, I don't know, kindergarten or first grade, the first nickname I ever had was Weirdo. <laughs> I love it now because, yep, I'm definitely, definitely a weirdo. And I, I love it. I'll wear that as a badge of honor as I'm low bellying it across the floor. I was also known for just being really strange because I, I was. And I'll tell you why, just between you and me, all 8,000 of you <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> just between us. Listen, I was raised by this guy called Bugs Bunny. And uh, I used to try to imitate all those characters at school. So I kind of, I talked in this Brooklynese, and I grew up and was born in Southern California, okay? Not far from Los Angeles. I'm like a, a this, this badass Brooklyn rabbit. <laughs> Somebody say something to me, I do some crazy cartoon voice. And some people would laugh, but most people thought I was really strange, because if you think about that, the nomenclature of the, the Brooklynese Bugs Bunny 1940-era comics, I'm spouting out stuff that doesn't make any sense to anybody. <laughs> Made sense to me, because uh, that was my teacher, Bugs Bunny. Anyway, I digress a little bit there, but I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture for you here that not only did I have these um, physical attributes that would... Uh, would trigger people into bullying me for some reason. But I was also a little bit, a little bit goofy. And when I found that I could entertain people or entertain myself, it helped ease my suffering because I just couldn't sit still. And I've mentioned this before. I needed to be moving around when I was younger. Um, and it was really hard for me to focus. It was really hard to concentrate on the board you know, I'm not, kindergarten was fun. I'm talking about when things got serious, like second grade, Mrs. Hill's class, things got serious there. We had to buckle down and start to learn how to, you know, multiply and stuff like that, which I still can't do. Anyway, thank you. Be, thank you for being patient and listening to this ramble of mine. I appreciate it. All you longtime listeners out there, this one's for you. So, I'm a chubby kid raised by Bugs Bunny, living in Southern California, trying to find out how to survive. My tactics are, I am going to make funny voices, and I'm going to keep my belly low. I'm going to become hypersensitive, uh, hypervigilant, and I'm going to be that dis the disruptive kid in the class that gets sent to the principal's office. So this morphed into everybody is thinking bad thoughts about me, which eventually turned into, I don't want to go out anywhere. My friends would come and say, hey, let's go. Let's go down to the mall. Yeah, the mall. That was a big deal. You know, I'm old. 
I'm old. You know, we're talking 70, 1975, 1976, Southern California, the mall. Big, big deal. Uh, you know, let's go to the movies. Let's go see Jaws. Let's go see Star Wars. Well, I went, I saw him. But the whole time, I was just so nervous and so, so anxious. And I never really knew this until I started doing the meditation, doing this work, uncovering those old feelings, bringing up to the forefront, working through them. In earlier podcasts, we certainly were at a stage where we, and I say we as in me, because I'm really just sharing my story here. I'm really happy you want to listen to it. But this is, this is my story, and I'm just sharing it with you. So the journey was this finding this incredible ground of being, of, of consciousness, of love and awareness that came from doing nothing, thinking nothing, having no goal, just sitting, just being. Suddenly, a benevolent consciousness is there. And then beyond the benevolent consciousness, nothing was there. And then it became absolutely, utterly impossible to explain the bliss. And then the bliss went away. And now we're coming back down to, quote-unquote, reality. Along the way, all of these things have fluctuated as far as the understanding of maybe what you might call traumatic childhood events. Some of us have experienced trauma. Trigger warning here, people. Trigger warning here. I'm going to discuss childhood trauma. Not with a lot of detail. Maybe later. But the reason... Uh, Somebody tweeted to me the other day and said, where did you go? Where are you? Where does he go? When I don't come back and and talk to you, I'm I'm going through something, discovering something new, going deep into some dark understanding (laughs) or some light understanding. It depends. So during this pandemic, I've been down in in, in the dark cellar of my haunted house, my, my mind, that is, uncovering the nasty stuff in the corner behind the dryer. You know what I'm talking about. And it's a little damp. <laughs> okay, so I, I find that funny. I'm digging through that lint back there, uncovering the nasty stuff, bringing it up, feeling it again, processing it, feeling like, oh, I've already taken the trash out. Why would I need to go through it? Now I'm going through it. So that's where I'm at, right? That's where I'm at. I'm going through the trash that I really thought that I took to the curb. But really, I've just found a hidden stairwell in my haunted house that went a little deeper down into the cellar. So that's where I've been. And I'm sure that the pandemic and um, what's been going on politically here in the old U.S., and just the day-to-day, being here, home, not really being able to go out very much, I'm sure that that didn't help things. I wouldn't say that I got depressed, but I would certainly say that I haven't felt my best emotionally because of the stress and strain of really being absent from any kind of social interaction. And I don't mind being alone. I'm very introverted in that way. But at the same time, what I was discovering was part of why I was introverted 
maybe was because of this discovery of mine that as a youth, being bullied and picked on, trying to survive, I came up with my own way to be able to do this thing called life. And one of those ways was probably definitely to tune down or turn off my emotions and my feelings. Maybe it was the time period, too, that I grew up in. Could have been family influences, too. Being a boy as well. But it wasn't really encouraged for boys to cry. And if you cried at school, now you're probably going to get beat up. So if somebody picks on you and you cry, you're not only going to get hurt emotionally, you're going to get hurt physically. So I, I learned pretty quick not to show those emotions. So in going through what I've been going through down in the deep, dark basement of the haunted section of the house, of my brain, back there in the, behind the dryer that I was mentioning, looking through things down there, there's some dark stuff. Bringing it up into the light is how I pictured it. Pick it up, bring it up into the light, go through it, take a look at it. So what does this have to do about what other people think? Everything. <laughs> Everything. The reason that I'm doing a podcast like this, and this may be one of the harder podcasts I've ever done, at this level, with this amount of truth and transparency with you, what I'm saying is that I believe that I was a prisoner of that belief system. That belief system that I needed to somehow pay attention to what, other, what I thought other people may be thinking about me. That I needed to be aware of that. I needed to be the mind reader so that I could low belly, man, so that I could survive, so that I could make it. I needed to know when the bombs were going to drop, when the firing was going to start. And that's what it was like when I was a kid. It was kind of like a war zone. But, the, but there weren't bullets and there weren't bombs, but there were words. And the words were painful. They tore just as much as any other kind of weapon. They went deep. So that was my mode to survive. If I already know what you're thinking about me, and I look at your face and I can see and read your mind, you're thinking bad thoughts about me, I feel anxious, I'm out of here. If I could escape, I'd be out of there. So what's worked for me? That may be, that may be a part two. This has already gone pretty long, but uh, I can give you a hint. Like I was saying, the meditation practice. And in that meditation practice, what was the end result? Well, it's going to be different for everyone, but my end result was this. Somebody cared. It felt, I felt this energy, this benevolent force that loved me, that cared. Is that my higher self? Maybe. Is that some divine presence outside of myself? I don't think so. Is it just another thought? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know this. It sure made me feel 
like I hadn't been alone my whole life, that there had been a presence, an energy, a the source, whatever you want to call it. You can call it the great mystery. It just felt like this this had my back. This was the the actual my actual grounding, okay? Boom. That that force, that benevolent force that was holding me up that whole time was always with me. So without this getting too preachy or woo-woo, <laughs> that that was my experience. Could 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 I be delusional? Well, certainly, but <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me because I no longer care what other people think. I finally have reached that point. I don't care what other people think about me. And now I feel free. I feel like I can go where I want. I can do what I want, sit where I want in a restaurant, say what I want, wear the clothes that I want, have the haircut I want, listen to the music I want, create the art, you know, I could go on and on and on. And I, like I said, I wear the badge of the weirdo now. I just do. Why not? <laughs> I love it. I love the people that are, air quotes, different. Because I am different. Though we are all the same, we are, in our own way, we have these wonderful special qualities that make us appear to be <laughs> individual. And in finding that in this process, in this more humble way of being able to go through this storm, to weather the storm, to make it out on the other side, for me to be sitting here talking to you in a closet in Sedona, Arizona, and being here, I, I don't know if I want to say survivor of that, but I guess so. Veteran? <laughs> a veteran of uh, uh, the, the low-belly, uh, hyper-anxious, hyper-awares? <laughs> the, uh, the school of Bugs Bunny? Anyway, here I am, and what an honor to be able to be here with you and share this with you and say to you that I know what you're going through because I went through it. You're not alone. You're not alone. And please, please, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on who you are as an individual. I know it hurts. I know it hurts a lot. And I'm not your last stop. Don't, don't just look to me for ways to be able to understand and how to navigate out of that suffering and anxiety in holding that belief that what other people think makes a difference in you. It probably could be at the top of my list, and I think that, you know, I've said this before to other young artists. They might say, is it really important to draw and to, you know, to learn um, perspective and shading? And, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what about selling your art? How do you go about doing that? And I say, you know, what's really important right off the bat is to remember it doesn't matter what other people think. Because... I think 
because of my belief system that this, just this one belief that I held, and, and I created that, you know, I created that belief. It was part of my survival uh, kit, right? The low belly and this. <laughs> I created that belief and I uncreated it. But I know this, if I would have known that earlier in my life, it wouldn't have made any difference. <laughs> I say it to people anyway, but isn't it amazing to be able to just say that what happened, I can say that what happened to me in my life now, I would not change a thing. I wouldn't want to go back and have all of the supposed knowledge that I have now about what it means to be a person and how to navigate this life. And first of all, how to uh, not care what other people think. Because all of those things that occurred in my life have given me the opportunity to come out of this and find compassion and empathy to, uh, for others. Without this journey and the way that it went, and the, the being able to find this spiritual path, whatever you call it, being able to go from, from my head into my heart and to, to heal that and, and to be able to be honest with myself on that level, to find myself at this point where I've made this journey up until now, getting close to 60 years old, which I can't even fathom, Anyway, thank you, Bugs Bunny. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Yogananda. Thank you, Suzuki Roshi. Thank you, Vernon Howard. I did I already thank Vernon Howard. It doesn't matter. Thank you to all those that bullied me. Thank you to all those that showed me love and compassion. Because I wouldn't change a thing. I, I really like what I see here as this person that's Robert. I do hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. I would really like to know what you think about it. Please give me a shout out at the old aquietmind at gmail.com. You can also find me on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all that stuff. It's been my pleasure we're not alone in this. Thank you for settling in and sharing your time with me. Congratulations for making it this far. Let's keep going together. All my love. <laughs>